Good morning, church. It's very nice to see all of you here this morning. As we begin our service, we're going to be singing hymn number 757, Abide With Me, hymn number 757. sins and ask him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. 
Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed is the Lord, for he has heard the voice of our prayer. Therefore shall our hearts dance for joy, and in our song we will praise our God. Responsive reading from someone, Psalm 119. You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. My zeal wears me out, for my enemies ignore your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servants love them. Though I am lowly and despised, I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting, and your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commandments give me delight. Your statutes are always righteous. Give me understanding that I may live. Second hymn this morning is going to be 266. All hail the power of Jesus' name.
morning, everybody. Um, I was given three Bible readings today, and I did some preparation. I went back to my concordance and the trusty Wikipedia. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet, and he was the most influential of all the prophets in the Hebrew Bible and a chief advisor to King Ahaz of Judah around about the 8th century BC and he was quite uncompromising. He scolded the king. It didn't really get him very far and the people of Israel he scolded and in the end Ahaz ignored his advice and led Judah into financial slavery to Assyria. Interesting backstory. Here's the first reading, Isaiah 1 to 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. And when you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This is the word of the Lord. And the book of Thessalonians, just again, some interesting um, information. Paul wrote two letters to the church in modern-day Thessaloniki in northern Greece. And uh, biblical scholars think that it was most probably co-authored by Timothy. Let me read on, 2 Thessalonians. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the Gospel reading. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him. What signs then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, 
Verily, truly, I say you to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. This is the Gospel of Christ. Thank you, Ron. Quite a long reading of John 6. We follow the story, we pay attention to this conversation. It seems a bit redundant, it seems repetitive. The context of the stories that Jesus had just fed many thousand people with bread, miraculously. And now they're following him to the other side. If you, if you know the previous section, Jesus' disciples take a boat to the other side of the lake, of the sea, and he walks on water. And of course, the people who had just eaten this miraculous bread meal are following him. 
point of this story is hidden in plain sight. Jesus waits for us. God waits for us, not the other way around. Notice how verse 25 starts. When they found him on the other side, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They were following him. They were waiting for Jesus to do what they wanted. And there Jesus was waiting for them. They missed missed that he had arrived early. Let me ask you a few questions before we continue. What do you really want from God? What are you waiting for that maybe you hope from Jesus to give you? And maybe a more personal question, do you want what God is offering for you, offering you now? What do you really want from God? And do you want what God is offering you? And we'll see this in the passage here as the people follow Jesus for bread. As I said, they just got out of a banquet, a feast. Each person had as much as they wanted and they had leftover food. And they followed Jesus, the crowds, after the 5,000 that were fed. Verse 26 says, Jesus is a little bit skeptical. He says, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate and the loaves and you had your fill. Jesus calls them out. He says, you don't want what I'm really trying to give you. You don't recognize, you don't recognize the miracles for what they are. You just like the fact that your stomach is full. What are you working for in your life? Maybe this week, your perspective. We all have jobs. We all go and do things throughout the day. What are you attaining? What do you want to receive? What do you want to earn in your life? See, the people here, they were just trying to get fed. But in their life, Jesus is trying to give them something else. Now notice what he says. He begins to tell them about spiritual food. Do not work for food that spoils. This is verse 27. But for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. I think this is extremely significant for his message because what are the people working for? You might say, okay, they're working to get fed and they look to Jesus because he's giving them food for free. But I think because of this spiritual aspect of him saying he's going to give food that, that always causes hunger to disappear, eternal life. He's talking about something spiritual. Don't work for food that spoils. What could be the work that spoils? Maybe it's the perspective that they need to work to receive God's righteousness. That is perhaps the perspective of the Jews because they bring up the law of Moses later on in the passage, which we'll get to. Don't work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures to eternal life. 
but actually it's not work at all because the Son of Man gives it to you. What is God's requirement? For on him, he says, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. What's Jesus getting at here? The seal of approval on Jesus. You see, the Jews believed that they were in a covenant with God. And the covenant was that God was rescued them out of slavery. He brought them out of the hands of Pharaoh. And he takes them into the desert and he says, I'm going to be your God. Will you be my people? And they say, yes. And he says, okay, so this is the covenant. I will be your God. I will lead you. I will lead you into this promised land. I will give you a nation. But I have some requirements. And if you break the law, there's provision through sacrifice. But if you break the law, it hurts the covenant. There's a chance that if you turn from this covenant, that the covenant will be broken. And so this is the work that the Jews have in mind. What They ask the question, what must we do in verse 28? The work God requires. But you see that the approval, Jesus says in verse 27, is upon Jesus. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, God doesn't approve of you. That's quite harsh. That's quite harsh to say to a Jew who lives and breathes the law of Moses in order to keep their end of the covenant. But he says the approval has fallen on me. Please don't miss this. One perspective might say, this is incredibly harsh, Jesus. How dare you tell me that my good works aren't good enough? How dare you tell me that I faithfully follow the law of Moses that God has given us? I faithfully hold up my end of the bargain and try. How can you say that God does not approve of me or my life? But you see that it's something else. Jesus doesn't see it just as, as judgment against someone not living up to God's standards, but he sees it as liberation. Depending on what your perspective is, what do you really want from God? These folks wanted God to approve them based on their work and therefore to feed them. But God's offering something else through Jesus. It comes across as incredibly harsh, but it's liberating because that which God approves is in the person of Christ, and he offers that to the people, which is he's ultimately offering them the bread of life, he says. But you see, they still don't understand what he's saying because in verse 28, they say, what must we do? What can we do, Jesus, that would make God approve of us what can we say to you Jesus in order for you to feed us again what can we do Jesus in order to get you to actually act like the Messiah that we want the one that takes care of our problems with the government the one that takes care of the problems with our poverty 
our lack of righteousness. What can you do for us to where God will approve of us? And you see that Jesus does not give in to this. He says, believe in the one that Jesus sent. The work of God is this. If you really want to please God, Jews, the work of God is this, verse 29, to believe in the one that he has sent. This too is an incredibly unpopular statement in today's culture. So many of us want to say, well, like the Jews, what does God want me to do in order to be pleasing to him? Jesus is a nice prophet. Jesus sounds like a nice man, but what can I do that will earn God's favor? Surely not all roads are blocked and it's just Jesus that gets to God. It sounds incredibly exclusive. It sounds incredibly harsh, like the seal of approval is only on Jesus. But it is actually liberating. Because if God sends Jesus, if God sends Jesus to meet not just our regular needs, but the ultimate need, then it's incredibly dangerous to say, what is God's requirement for me for him to be pleased? Because the approval rests on Jesus. Jesus recognizes this. The work of God is this. If you want to be right before God, believe in the one he has sent. But you see that the people still don't understand. They're still thinking in earthly terms. If Jesus really, if you really are the one that was sent from God, why does it appear that you aren't doing things for us that we want? What do you really want from God? What are you waiting for? Maybe it's something tangible. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a situation you're in. Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe it's a relationship issue. What are you waiting for from God in the same way that the Jews are missing the ultimate reality they're thinking about their circumstances? And what might God actually be offering you through Jesus? Not just in terms of salvation, but in terms of life. Life today, life this week. Listen to their skepticism, verse 30. Show us a sign. Show us another sign. Feed us again. Make the two fish and the loaves turn into a banquet for us. Then we'll believe. Do they really need another miracle to know that Jesus just did something fantastic and that he is who he says he is? Or do they really just want something else that he's not giving them? We see that Jesus is playing along with this by referring to himself as the bread of God because he knows ultimately that they just want to eat. Show us another sign. We don't want spiritual food. We want food food. They say, well, we know the history of the Jews. 
We know that our ancestors, this is verse 31, ate manna in the wilderness as it was written. God gave them bread from heaven to eat. If you were really a, a, a prophet like Moses, Jesus, you would continue to feed us. If you really were sent from God, you would be like Moses. But he says, it was not Moses that gave you bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. 33, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They like this, 34. They say, always give us this bread. We want this bread. And he says, I am the bread. The bread of life. What's Jesus ultimately doing? The Gospel of John tells an incredible story of Jesus who comes to the people that don't really expect what he is bringing. He's coming to serve, he's coming to heal, he's coming to feed. But ultimately, he's coming to address the issue of what must be done for people to be approved. He's solving the issue of their toil by sacrificing himself. He dies, he goes to the cross, he's obedient to God, and because of that obedience, he's raised and put into a place of honor. But notice that he calls these people to him to believe in what he is doing, to believe in who he is, but also to call them as disciples. In the previous section, he sends the disciples in advance ahead of him in order to do things for the kingdom of God, to teach this message, to heal. But notice that the people probably don't want any of that. They just want Jesus to feed them. What do you really want from God? What's your perspective of faith in Christianity? Is it God will, if you believe God will make your problems go away, your circumstances, your your hunger, like in the story? Or is God calling you to something beyond your circumstances? Whether you have a good life or a bad life or you're in the midst of pain and struggle and suffering or everything's fine. In the midst of whatever circumstances you have, do you have life? Because the life that Jesus is talking about is not about hunger. It's about ultimate satisfaction. It's about being reunited with God. It's about stop. It's about the cease of the question, what must I do for God to really love me? What must I really do for God to show that He cares, that he, he, He's here? That my faith isn't, isn't in vain? Our lives are incredibly harsh sometimes. And it feels like God is not there. And he doesn't answer. And sometimes it feels like God, the belief in our faith and Christianity and Jesus, it isn't relevant. Because ultimately, I'm just going to have to take care of myself. But you see that that's based on a perspective 
that what we do, how we fail, is ultimately the deciding factor of what God thinks about us, and that's not true according to Jesus. It's completely the opposite. That our work comes out of God's approval of us through Jesus. That like him, because Jesus died and Jesus rose and he's in a place of honor, he's in a place of power and authority, so too you and I are as heirs of God. It's incredibly liberating. It causes us to not focus on ourselves. You see, these people are following Jesus to eat, and Jesus is saying, once you eat of the bread that I'm really offering you, it's going to be for the world. The message that you have. As he says in verse 36, he says, you've seen me. You know who I am. And yet you still don't believe. They don't want what he's offering. They don't want to be like him. He tells us what the the will of God is in verse 39 and 40. This is the will of him who sent me, God that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise them up on the last day. Notice in verse 40 that eternal life becomes, comes before they're raised on the last day. You can't be raised unless you're dead. But he speaks of eternal life before their death. It's not this, it's not just eternity in heaven, but a wellspring of life that comes and bubbles up because of the source. Not your circumstances, not your hunger, not whatever it is that we're so desperate for God to address. Our needs desires, maybe things that are even good. What do you really want from God? What are you waiting for that that you want God to provide for you that you're desperate and pray for? If you're like me, I'll confess, it's circumstantial. Most of the things that I want or desire or wish for are related to the here and now. And the truth is that I am approved because Jesus is approved. And if my faith is in him, there is a source of life that never ends. Not just in duration, but in quantity, in value. Do you really want what God wants to give you through Christ? It's available today. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, there's a moment in time 
And I think that time is now where we can stop and reflect on maybe something that we're missing about what Jesus is trying to offer us in the midst of our circumstances. Yes, it's salvation. Yes, it's forgiveness of sins. But maybe it's power and joy and peace and hope in the midst of our suffering because He suffered. Let's take some time, maybe 30 or 40 seconds, and we'll recite the Apostles' Creed and affirm our faith. You would stand with me, please. The Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that we are fed. We thank you that we are provided for. God, give us the strength to trust you. Increase our faith. Cause your spirit to fill us and to lead us back to that which is our ultimate satisfaction, and that is you, the bread of life. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord God, we pray for Vilnius. We pray that your name and your message and the good news of Christ would reach this city. We pray for the service that's coming that, that commemorates those who have fought for freedom. But I pray, God, that there would be a message that represents your fight for our freedom, your fight for our life, your sacrifice, God. Give us the strength to live in a way that's sacrificial for others, like those people who died in those wars. I pray, God, that you would give us the mindset of service and compassion as your compassion and service to us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our last hymn this morning is number 60, All Things Bright and Beautiful.
receive the Lord's benediction, with the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give me thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.